You're listening to The Brian and Gina Show, the official podcast of L.A. Magazine. Here are your hosts, Brian and Gina. Hello and welcome to The Brian and Gina Show, the official podcast of L.A. Magazine. I'm Brian Bishop. I'm Gina Grad. And thank you for joining us. Today we're going to educate yourself and ourselves uh, as to all the ins and outs of the writer's strike. The Writers Guild of America is on strike. It is either affecting your favorite shows or will affect your favorite shows. And uh, we have an expert on to fill us in on what we don't know, which honestly, Gina, I about you, for me is a lot. Yeah, yeah. This is one of those things that you think, oh, well, you know, I I live in LA, so I should know everything. And I'm in a union. And I'm like, wait a second, what, what exactly is going on? What exactly do they want? What exactly what productions is this halting? You think about all the things that you settle in and you watch and you know, you, you kick back on your couch and your lazy boy. I actually saw a couch recently that was made of three lazy boys, which was amazing. And you tuck in for your favorite whatever, and it ain't there. So this is going to affect everybody if it hasn't already. Yeah, you're uh, you're 100 right. On the uh, on my other show, the Film Vault, my co-host Anderson attempted to uh, broach this subject and uh, explore it a little bit. Didn't go well. Neither of us <laughs> knew had any idea what we we're talking about, and uh, hence here we are deciding that uh, well, this is a topic that a lot of people are interested in. Yeah, it's it's national news for a reason. I have friends that are out on the picket line. I didn't realize I did some very light researching and didn't realize that there are rules to picketing. Like oh, if really? you're on a oh yeah apparently and I don't know if this goes for for the writers guild specifically but I looked at union picket rules and it's like you must use one of their signs oh. you must you must carry a sign to be considered part of the picket um and also I don't know if you've been seeing these you know on Twitter on social media all the brilliant signage yeah well you put writers on with. strike you're going to get good yeah. signs now, my favorite one, there's been so many good ones, good puns, good references to TV shows. But I got to tell you, my favorite one so far by a a Los Angeles radio legend, Doug McIntyre, who wrote on every sitcom and every TV show in the in the 80s, all the brilliant signs, his sign, because he's in the Writers Guild and he's striking, was blank. Oh, not bad. Clever. Very well done, I thought. Have you ever, that's what you get. Have you yourself ever been part of a strike or have you ever been, been affected by a strike in your work? Um, not really. I think the last one was at 2007, 2008. Oh, no, was, the, the writer's guild, yeah. Right. Yeah, That the last big one, that's where we had Conan O'Brien spinning his wedding ring for 15 minutes on <laughs> Conan O'Brien, late night with Conan O'Brien. Do you remember that? I, I remember hearing about it. I don't think I saw it. That's, I mean, he, that, and that's something else I want to ask our guest about is he, Conan used to go on just without writers and he would literally just spin, see how long he could spin his wedding ring for. And it was, it was good family entertainment. It's compelling um, television. <laughs> but as far as being affected by a strike, ah, I got to be careful. I want to say I don't think so, but maybe I just missed one. Well, when I was in high school, I worked at a grocery store for two years, which you you probably remember yes. that. I was a I was a a top grocery bagger, a really right. excellent yeah. at grocery bagging. And you're the uh, only one who knows where the eggs go. 
Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that endorsement. And uh, we're a small grocery store, kind of a mom and pop, you know, three locations or four locations, whatever it was in the Bay Area. But uh, the grocery store workers uh, union went on strike. So like oh Safeway and all the lucky and all of the big stores, uh, their workers went on strike. Well, we are protected as part by the union as like a, uh, you know, some sort of some sort of exemption for small. Right. It would Throw ruin, you know, it would ruin the place. Right. Um, so they carve out an exemption, and what happened is, people who didn't want to cross the line to buy their groceries came to us, sure. and so that was a madhouse right there. But on top of that, the um, the employees who were on strike were allowed by union rules to come work at our store during the strike. So we had an influx of not just customers. I mean, we had lines down the aisles at every single checkout stand. There were like all these new workers who were, you know, all of a sudden your coworker, like, hey, where do you work? Oh, we're going the same way across the street. Oh, well, welcome. I love that. And I love how unions stick together. I didn't know that... This affects other unions, not just because it, you know, the, the trickle down effect of of production stopping, but because unions want to and kind of need to support other unions. Yeah. So you got actors out there striking. I'm sure you had some famous actors saying, you know, don't shop at Albert's. Oh, sure. Yeah. Same. You know, all unions stick together. Yeah, but exactly. I, so it was it was it was a mad it was a mad time in the grocery yeah. business. I that no, I have not experienced anything like that. I mean, it probably wouldn't be a bad idea for us to go down and show our support, but I'm kind of tired. Oh, well, uh, this is revealing my ignorance. <laughs> I wouldn't even know where to go. I mean, I assume we'd go to one of the studios. Any studio, any, okay. and these are things I want to talk to our guest about too, because I'm being educated in live time as we all are on Twitter on how these things work on, on, on union busting skill, you know, uh, tactics on all of these little things that I didn't know existed. So I can't wait to talk to him about that, but you know what else I can't wait for? What's that? Mother's day. Ooh, almost here. I, I was going to say, you know, I can't wait to celebrate my mom and all the good moms and the, but you know, like you reminded me at one point, I'm a mom. And sometimes I forget. <laughs> I Indeed. don't forget. I don't forget I'm a mom, but I forget that like Mother's Day. Oh, oh yeah, and it's for you. It's very sweet. They always get me presents and a card, and it's very sweet. But you know what? If they're listening, if my husband hears this, I wouldn't mind some more Alex and Ani, and I mean that because they have some beautiful pieces. And we know by now there are moments in life that transform you. They shape who you are and who you want to be. And the people who inspire you and those who motivate you to go further than you ever dreamed, those people deserve something beautiful. And there is where Alex and Ani comes in. Go over to alexandani.com. See some gorgeous pieces specifically, by the way, for Mother's Day. They have a collection that honors the unstoppable force and strength of a mother's love. Motherhood, undeniably, full-time job, though you know, you you have your heroes and you're guided by the deepest and purest strengths of all. Of course, that's love. The Mother's Day Alex and Ani collection celebrates the super moms in your life. Go over there. They have pieces that are beautiful, that are, are Mother's Day ready, and other pieces that are just simple and perfect. And you might think, you know what? I was always the rebel in the house. I'm going to be rebellious. I'm not even going to pick something from the Mother's Day line. I'm just going to get something simple and perfect and beautiful. Is that allowed? Alex and Ani. <laughs> I mean, I, I feel like they're, 
I have jewelry from Alex and Ani that has a Wonder Woman symbol. I have a hula girl. I have a number one. I think you can get whatever you want and somebody's going to appreciate it. There you go. Yeah. Hey, as long as we're giving out plugs, uh, let me yeah. mention the LA Magazine. Take a, take a break, Tina. That was a lot. I will. Thanks. Uh, LA, LA Magazine has a uh, very cool event they're presenting, DTLA Sunday Funday. We know DTLA oh, yeah. is downtown LA. There's a Sunday Funday event going on uh, in downtown, a bottomless cocktail brunch, they're calling it, on Sunday, May 21st, 11 to 2, 11 a.m. to 2 p.m. Want to be specific about that so you don't show up at the wrong time. But if you're down for a bottomless cocktail brunch in downtown LA, head over to Engine Company number 28 on Figueroa Street, and you can get uh, bottomless cocktails that are featuring mimosas, peach bellinis, whole oh. shebang, bloody marys, espresso martinis. If you're uh, if you're a basic bitch, you get your espresso martini, <laughs> strawberry daiquiris, start me up gin, mezcal, oh, mezcal sour, sounds pretty good. And don't forget about brunch gina brunch world famous chicken and waffles firehouse burritos avocado toast eggs benedicts as well as music games contests mixology demonstrations again this is may 21st on a sunday ddla sunday funday a bottomless cocktail brunch go to lamag.com sunday yes get your tickets right there i have moved from a sweet brunch cocktail lady to a savory cocktail lady you're i am now for, for a treat yo i am down with a bloody mary these days so this would be fantastic for the likes of me and it's funny that you said the basic bitches order the espresso martini because i thought the classic basic bitch drink was the mimosa but we've I moved on I, I think we've moved past that i think the new the new, the new hotness, the new trend uh-huh. is the, uh, from what I see on reality television. Uh, sure. for, for, over my wife's shoulder, it's uh, sure. the espresso martini. I feel like that would be actually a really good combination because you have the caffeine to keep you from appearing too mm. wasted. Well, at least there'll be a, at least there'll be a wide awake drunk. Yeah. yeah. I might have to actually check this out. I always thought that I was doing the right thing with the with the little vitamin C and a little champs, but it's time to get down with the. I've never had an, a martini, a espresso martini. Oh, you're missing out. I mean, it's yeah. uh, it is good if you like like a a white Russian. It's very similar. Ooh, I do love a creamy cocktail. There you go. Okay, so that's going on Sunday. Stop by your Alex and Ani. And before you do all that, though, we have an incredible guest that's going to break down what has broken down in hollywood oh let me i don't know if he's here or not but let me just give a quick uh uh background on matt our guest matt bellamy is uh the former editor of the hollywood reporter so he's very plugged in knows a lot of things a lot of people and he recently founded puck news where he dishes i mean it's uh it's all the insider uh, analysis and news. It's not gossip. It's like he analyzes and uh, breaks news uh, on the uh, entertainment industry. So the guy's very plugged in. Uh, I know Matt pretty well. And uh, yeah, he's going to tell us all we need to know. And you know, Matt, because I'm going to give you three options. Okay. <clears throat> your frat brothers. Okay. Your children go to the same preschool. Okay. Or you have a oh, poker. Okay. Or um, a secret society for men in the entertainment industry who 
have also been on game shows. Okay, uh, you're right about one of them. One okay. of them could be correct. So we may play poker someday. But uh, yes, our children went to the same daycare, uh, uh, and uh, we became friends that way. I love it. I love. I love that. That's the better story. Yeah. We can all go to a networking lunch. We've sure. all been on a Zoom with people we don't know. But to have, you know, to be introduced through your children or as you and I have now experienced through a mystery burrito night is are really the only two ways to do it. That's how you do it in your 40s. Yeah, that's how it's done. Um, all right. So we'll be right back and we will get the skinny from Matt. Let's welcome to the show Hollywood insider and good guy all around, Matt Bellany. How are you, Matt? Doing well. How are you guys? Good. Good. Thank you for joining us. Uh, Matt, I I gave your uh, very top-level credentials at the top. uh, (laughs) Tell people where they know you from or where they can find you, Puck News, Hollywood Reporter, all that stuff. Sure. I do a -a twice-a-week newsletter for a media company called Puck, which we launched last year. It's kind of a, a digital magazine covering entertainment, tech, politics, finance, kind of the powerful places of American culture. And I do a podcast three times a week for the Ringer Podcast Network about the entertainment business called The Town. Nice. Very cool. You, you mentioned uh, tech and politics. Before we, we have so much to dissect with the strike, and I don't mean to put you on the spot, but as we record this, did you see that Tucker Carlson is planning on moving his show to Twitter? I did. <laughs> Any thoughts about that? Uh, a couple things that are interesting about that. First of all, he seems to be breaching his deal with Fox that pays him $25 million a year. And that's a pay or play deal, meaning Fox can choose to keep him under contract and continue to pay him if they like. Uh, He seems to either have forgotten about that or be throwing that in their face and saying, I will do what I want. I don't care about your $25 million. Um, Secondly, you know, this is the new Elon Musk Twitter. He wants voices like that. His whole goal, he says, is free speech. He wants more balanced in his vo- in his opinion viewpoints. Um, this is probably the kind of thing that the previous incarnation of Twitter would not have wanted on the platform. Right. Uh, but Elon wants it. Okay, Better so like we'll see flash. what happens with that. Yeah, exactly. And I love I love the idea of anybody. I don't care what side they are on politically. If I agree with them or not, anyone who walks from allegedly could walk from twenty five million. I got to say, those are some some big brass ones. Well, judging by the noises that Carlson's lawyer is making, he does not intend to walk away. <laughs> they intend to allege some breaches of contract sure. on the Murdoch's side of the fence and will probably come after many millions of dollars, if not the full 25. We will definitely reach out to you if you don't mind on this kind of thing, because I find it fascinating. But let's talk about the strike that is affecting people, whether they know it or not, because we, when we talked about it, they're going to turn on their TV and go, what's this old episode? And what, what am I watching? This isn't Colbert. This isn't Fallon. Tell us what's going on. Yeah. Start, yeah those, let's start at the oh, beginning. What, uh, what, yeah. what, what, what precipitated all this? How long has it been building for? Sure. Uh, you know, we are in week two now of a writer's strike. The Writers Guild of America has decided to walk off the job. And this has been basically a decade or more in the making. Ever since Netflix came to town and decided to start changing up the model for how television is made and distributed, the economics of the business have changed along with it, which means that the Writers Guild, has tried to catch up 
with how the mech, how, how the mechanisms for getting its members paid have changed. And basically, in a nutshell, you know, it used to be in the analog linear era, there would be shows that would have 22 episodes and you as a writer would get to work on those episodes and you'd make a weekly fee. But for the season, you could make a pretty good living on a 22 episode show as a kind of lower level mid-tier writer. Slowly that has changed over the streaming era. The streaming companies, they don't value 22 episodes of a season. They want eight or 10, sometimes six. And the goal of the streaming companies is to amass subscribers rather than advertising. They don't need the eyeballs, although that's changing a little. They have advertising tiers as well. But the main goal is to get survive to get subscribers in the door, and you do that with higher volume of shows, but fewer episodes of shows and fewer seasons of those shows. And that has trickled down to the writers, where they feel that they're essentially being turned into a gig worker, where they come in and work on a show for a little bit, they don't have steady employment, they don't get the opportunities to advance, and the residuals that they once got from these shows that would repeat on cable and late night and overseas, those are all being bought out at the beginning. So they don't make as much money as they might have in success for the traditional television show. So that's all been building for years and years and years. Probably should have come to a head three years ago when the last deal was up, but the pandemic just caused everybody to punt it down the road. Now here we are. And it's 2023, and these writers are really pissed off. And they've got a litany of grievances that they have said to the studios they want addressed. And they're not anywhere near some kind of resolution. They're far apart. And in fact, the studios have not even agreed to negotiate at all on certain issues. And that's where we are right now. I don't, want to be, I don't want to be laborious about it, but like how, what, what are the grievances and are they a result of a changing economy, changing world in entertainment or are they like legit, like, Hey, we're getting screwed on this. And don't studios, don't they care at all about the optics of just being like, nah, we're not going to go negotiate. Uh, the, the answer to that second question is no, they don't. <laughs> <laughs> they're used to being the bad guys. Uh, the first question is a little bit more complicated. Some of them are just money issues. They want increases in the minimum payments that they get. They want increases in the residuals, but some of them are much more fundamental. And in the guild's view, existential things like artificial intelligence mm-hmm. and whether you can use chat GPT to generate a first draft of a script. The writers don't want the studios to be able to do that. And the studios want the flexibility to at least be able to experiment with this technology and see where it leads. So that's one issue where they're not even negotiating yet. The second one are, you know, there there are things that have happened to the business of being a writer where you used to do it. You used to go into a writer's room where you would break the story for the season and then you'd a portion off the episodes and writers would get the chance to be involved in the production of the show and essentially rise up through the ranks. Now there's this thing called the mini room, which the studios have instituted. It can mean many different things, but it basically means you hire a writer's room, small group of writers for guild minimum, and they work out the beats of a story for a six episode Marvel show or an eight episode Netflix show. And then the studio takes that, decides to green light the show based on the mini room work, 
And then it's handed off to experienced producers to essentially finish the show and shoot it. And what the Guild says is that's not the path to success for writers. It's cutting them out of the key elements of the process. It's making them just kind of hired hands on somebody else's show. And it's really led to decreased revenues for these writers. That's the Guild argument. So that is a more fundamental issue. There are a couple others that they're fighting over. There's, you know, the length that they can keep these writers under contract. There's, um, you know, a bunch of different smaller issues, but those are kind of the major ones. Okay. That that's so interesting because uh, in general, when, when we're talking about you know philosophically, you think well, you can't stop progress, and just because somebody doesn't like it, and they might have to pivot to something else, like too bad, sorry, that's 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 the future. But on this, it's like no, I when I when you say it, I'm like no, nah, they really got to dig their heels in on this. Like th- this is that it just just from those couple sentences, you think a. You can't eliminate, or can you? I guess they're trying to, but you, at this point with, with chat GPT and stuff, it doesn't feel that we're at the point where we can eliminate the people with the soul uh, and just do the work like we're doing, you know, uh, cashierless, you know, checkout or whatever. We're not there. But would that, do you think that the studios are like, okay, so just, we'll tell them, we get it, we're not there, but we will be, and then we'll push them out. Like, we can see that coming, right? Nobody Well, that's that. what the Guild says, for sure, yeah. that this is the first step of yeah. what will be a multi-step process to minimize the role of writers. They want to nip it in the bud. And if you go back 15 years, the last writer strike took place in 2007, 2008, and at the time, the studios were making the same argument about the internet as a whole. Right. They were saying, listen, guys, we have no idea what this internet, what streaming is going to be. Let's just put this off. We won't deal with it now. And the Guild really fought hard just to get coverage for the internet and things that were distributed via streaming. That obviously became very important going down the line because the rise of Netflix, Hulu, all these other services the Guild was in danger of not even having coverage over that. Now, I think they probably would have at some point said, wait a second, you can't use my services if you're just going to cut me out. But at least that's the Guild argument. And now they say the same thing is true for AI. They want to at least protect themselves. I, I personally chuckle when I hear stuff like this because having voiced a couple of like globally recognized um game uh video games people think that i you know i i need to take my dumb waiter down to to the servants quarters and and put the drop no 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 i didn't get any of that money i don't get any of that money that's they buy you for a you know a day they buy you for your session and that's that and i don't want to see other people in this industry <laughs> having to go through that i mean it, it, especially when people are under the impression like oh you're a big hollywood sitcom writer you're a big hollywood film of blank and suddenly it doesn't work that way anymore yeah, I mean, there's examples that have come out in the media over this past couple of weeks of writers on hit shows on the streaming services that don't make very much money at all and are lower middle class. Like one writer had to borrow or, or uh, use his credit card to buy a bow tie to go to the Writers Guild Awards because he didn't have money and he was on a hit show. So there are a lot of those stories. Now, you know, the the, the studios argue that The number of people who have been able to be working writers in this peak TV age has actually increased. Expanded, yeah. Sure. And the and the the access to writing, um, it's the writing staffs are much more diverse than they have ever been. There are more writers than they have ever been before. 
It's just that the model and the technology of television has changed and they can't fight that. That's because streaming enabled the distribution of this content to be very different than it once was. There were no barriers right. to launching a streaming service and Netflix came along and did it very successfully and at a high volume. And that's just the way it is. You know, that's that's the argument, at least. It's also amazing is a reflection of how fast the world changes, because in 2007, the last time the writer struck, struck, striked, whatever, the uh, streaming was in its infancy. You know what I mean? Like, I don't even know if Netflix was, I was still doing the DVD via mail from Netflix. Like uh, the world changes fast. And now it's the, feels like the dominant form of at least of television. Absolutely. And I think that's what the writers are looking at with AI. I mean, yeah. look how much the AI discussion has changed over the past six months. Yep. We weren't even talking about this six months ago. No. And they want to do a deal for three years where they're not allowed to even experiment with this technology. That The studios say that's untenable because they have no idea what the potential is. You know, it could be a very helpful tool supplementing the writers. I mean, we don't think at this point ChatGPT can write a shoot worthy script on its own but maybe it can help fix up a scene maybe you know it's something they want to be able to to experiment with but i would say devil's advocate on the very little i know about chat gpt and ai is that that's not coming from some alien brain on high that is an amalgamation of things that have already been written stories that have already been said so in that case gpt is still using the writers they're just it just aggregating it and then spitting it out in a different order. Well, but the but those writers are not getting paid right. for that use. Right. That's, That's what I'm saying. That's what I mean. Like they're still using writers, even though they say they're not using writers because that's what ChatGBT is. Yeah. And, and it's interesting. You cannot get a copyright on something that is written by a machine. Right. So mm -hmm. there is a, there is already a guardrail here and that if, you know, the movie studios are built on their copyrights. And if you can't get a copyright on a script that's created by ChatGPT, then you have no rights to the script that you're producing. And that's a problem. So what likely will happen here is that there will be a writer written script that is punched up by ChatGPT or vice versa, where yeah. you have, you have, you know, an original draft by a computer that is then made over by sure. a real writer who then gets a copyright interest in it. This sounds wow. so familiar. I watched a, a documentary years ago. I think it was called The Pixar Story. And basically the, the gist of it was when computer animation came into traditional animation, the traditional animators were very threatened as that like, oh, this is going to replace right. us. And the whole idea was, no, no, this will help you be faster and more efficient. It you know, is what it became. I wonder if it's going to be trying sold that way to, 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 to the writers. Maybe. Yeah, I mean, this it's it's all going to be a negotiation over the next few months because they're not even talking right now. They've uh -huh. got to get back in a room to talk about this. And I think on the AI issue, there probably is some kind of a compromise. It doesn't have to be binary where it's either, you know, we run Ramshad over, you know, over, you know the entire industry turns into robots right. or it's banned permanently. Like right. there's probably a compromise there. Same with the other issue. You know, we haven't talked about it, but one of the big issues the writers are clamoring for is better transparency of who is actually watching this content on the streamers. It's a big black box right. on data. And that's an incredible advantage that the studios have when they're making deals with these writers. They know 
who's watching every single minute of this stuff. And they are only putting out little drabs of information, like a weekly top 10. You know, some showrunners get better data, but it's not standardized across the industry. And these guilds are really waking up to the fact that they're put at a disadvantage if they don't have access to that data. Mm. Of course. Fascinating. Yeah, um, now we we're we're getting into the weeds in a good way with the entertainment stuff because I know that that's that's going to affect everyone. Like we said, whether they know it or not, I would love to get into the weeds a little bit on the actual strike itself, on the people standing here with the signs picketing. Um, you know, there's been some stuff online. Uh, I think it was Adam Conover from Adam Ruins Everything going on Twitter and talking about you know little strategies to union bust, like you know. Uh, uh, entrance, neutral entrances and things like that. I don't know how much you can tell us about like the ins and outs of the actual strike process. And, and, what, and uh, it, what, what, are they, what are they allowed to do? I understand right. it's not much. And that's yeah. the other thing we've seen on Twitter, you know, three, three picketers were there until 2 a.m. and shut down a production. How does that work? What does that mean? Well, there's a couple things that are going on here. A number of guild pickets uh, targeting specific shoes have been very effective at shutting down those productions because the Teamsters and the other unions have said that they won't cross picket lines. So if there is a picket line set up at, let's say, you know, the Stranger Things set, right. the Teamsters won't drive the talent to their marks if they have to pa- pass a picket line. That's one way to shut it down. Secondly, there are showrunners that are both writers and producers of shows. And the showrunners have been on strike for their writing capacity, but the studios have made the argument that they still should be on set for the producing aspects of their job. And some of the writers have said, okay, but many of them, including the Stranger Things creators and shows shows like Hacks, they have said essentially, we cannot separate the process of writing from the process Mm. of producing. It's all of a piece and everything we do from the positioning to cutting in the editing room to the choices we make on set, that's all a version of writing. So we're not going to do that. And those shows consequently have shut down. So it's been a pretty effective tactic by the guild to cause more hurt for these studios by eliminating these shows in production. Because if Stranger Things does not premiere as it's supposed to next spring, that's a big problem for Netflix. Right. It's interesting, too, how this trickles down to, you know, obviously actors or, you know, craft services or production rental equipment. I think there's a fund that people can donate to to, like, help the people that are affected by the strike. But how how do strikers survive during a strike? It's a good question. Uh, I think, you know, this day and age, a number of people have different jobs. Yeah, that they do. I mean, there's a lot of WGA members who also host podcasts or they do influencer videos or they do, uh, you know, gigs for non WGA signatory companies. Right. And those you can still do if even if you were on strike. Okay, Um, it's a choice that people make on a case by case basis. But for many of these striking writers, that's the leverage that the studio has as it gets longer and longer. The studios can go for a while. It's the individual Individual. writers who start to feel the pain and the other people. I mean, these shows that shut down, it's not just the writers that are feeling it. It's it's the crew. And some of them, like on the late night shows, are getting paid right now. 
Some of them will are not getting paid and won't after a certain amount of time. So it, it ends up causing a lot of damage to the greater Los Angeles yeah. economy in particular because of the shutdowns and all the ancillary services and people that go along with these TV shows. So what's well, and, the... Oh, yeah, go ahead, Gina. Go, well, I was thinking back in the day, we talked about this a little, we'd watch, instead of a you know a well-crafted bit, we'd watch Conan O'Brien spin his wedding mm-hmm. ring. So instead of going dark, uh, what do you think the decision is to just straight up go dark than to just kind of bring call it out and just make a a wacky show that actually America can be educated on why this is happening. I mean, that happened in the last strike where the late night shows went dark for a period of time and then came back without writers. And the reason that they did come back was exactly that. They wanted their crews to get paid and to not have to suffer. And they did so, the host did so without their writers. Um, I don't know if that's going to happen again. This time, the Writers Guild seems to be much more aggressive in its tactics and really trying to inflict the most pain on the industry in order to pressure the studios into a settlement. So I don't know if we're going to see those shows come back without their writers. Um, who knows, though? We'll see. It's very it's easy to say that now. But if we get into the mid-late summer towards September and there's still no resolution... Yeah. I could see maybe these hosts saying, okay, we'll come back in the fall with no writers just so our people have jobs. Right. I want to get your long-term predictions, but also first, give us your short-term uh, predictions. What's going to happen? Shows start going away or you know, going off the air. Uh, pe- when, when, will, when will the public start noticing this? So the immediate impact is on the late night shows, you know, the, the nightly shows and John Oliver, Bill Maher, those kinds of shows. Those are done, SNL done. The... Soap operas also will run out of scripts very soon. Um, the shows that were supposed to wrap production and finish up but are now delayed because of the union activity, those will start to have their release dates delayed. So late summer, early fall. The fall schedule that the networks are counting on and that they're planning to announce next week, those shows will probably then be the next ones to be delayed. The Emmys in September will probably not happen if they are still on strike. And then we start getting into movies because movies are still in production. But if there are movies that were about ready to go, but the script wasn't quite done, that's when we start at the end of this year into the next year, we start to notice the movies. Uh, and that's that's really where Hollywood will be hit at the box office. Interesting. And then I'll give us some long-term predictions. Where, yeah. where does this end up? This David and Goliath story. Yeah, right now, the studios seem to be focused on the sister guilds, the Directors Guild and the Screen Actors Guild, both of which have contracts coming up at the end of June. So we'll see negotiations between the studios and those guilds go on, even as the writers are on strike. And if the studios can make deals with the DGA in particular, they might be able to use that as a template to go to the writers and say, listen, we did this for the directors. Let's talk about doing something similar for you guys. That has worked in the past. And in fact, the previous strike ended after the directors cut a deal and kind of forced the writer's hand. But the Directors Guild is making some pretty loud noises about this time being different. Hmm. And there's no guarantee the directors are going to make a deal. Or they could make a deal, but eliminate a lot of the stuff that the writers are very specifically mad about like these mini rooms and like the writer specific issues so 
the directors could do a deal, but the writers stay on strike. And the actual outcome is that everyone is still shut down. So this, this, it's dependent on these other guilds, but we could still see this last for months and months. My prediction is sometime in the fall. Wow. That's, it, it feels shocking. I know that time will go by in a flash, but that feels like a really long time. It will feel like a really long time if you are an unemployed writer as well. <laughs> yeah. So, so you mentioned uh, soap operas, reality, or uh, uh, you know, news shows, talk shows, etc. I'm wondering for people listening who might be interested, where do where do, do reality shows fall in some kind of weird uh, in between gray area? Where are they affected? How does that work? It's funny because yeah, they're called unscripted or non-scripted, right. right? Right. Yeah, the reality shows can still continue, and in fact, during the previous strike those shows really had a heyday and sure. they took up a lot of the real estate. We're probably going to see that again this fall. If there's no deal, we'll see yes. a lot of the voice and, you know, Ninja warrior mm-hmm. and amazing race and all of those shows come back. I mean, those shows are already such a part of the broadcast networks at this point that it will seem like a, maybe a little bit more, but it won't be like a wholesale difference. It's just that the scripted shows won't be back. And well, that will be very noticeable. And also, aren't game shows in general just so much cheaper to produce? They are, yeah, uh, especially when compared to scripted shows. Sure. And that you know that could be. There's a whole theory out there now that the studios secretly wanted this strike because all of them are under financial pressure right now to cut costs because of the ad wow. economy and the stock market pullback. So there's a theory that they wanted the these shows to go dark. So they could save money. Uh, after about 60, 90 days, they can start using the term force majeure to get rid of a lot of these deals. You know, if you're unable to perform due to forces beyond right. your control, you can just cancel deals. And I think some of these studios would really like to do that with some of these high priced deals. So, you know, we'll see that studios aren't exactly incentivized to get rid of this, to end the standoff anytime soon. Interesting. And then sorry to drill down on this, but there are written elements to these reality shows. I mean, they write whatever parts. Is it not covered by the WGA or? How it's not a WGA work? situation. Ah. Yeah. Unless you employ WGA writers and you're a signatory. That is, um, yeah. I, and, and to be honest, there are other guilds that work on these reality shows like IATSE and some of these others. Um, I don't know how that's going to going to impact them. But from everything I have seen so far, the unscripted shows are continuing without any hindrance. And what because because they're non-scripted and they're complete reality in every single way. Uh, <laughs> yes, these are real feelings everyone is uh, projecting out there. Before we let you go, Matt, I, one thing I found interesting, I don't know if you're um, up on this, but or if I just read something that wasn't true, but is there can be retribution against people who cross picket lines, right? Like go to work writing when they, you know, scabs basically. Do you, do you, what, what can you uh, tell us about that? Yeah, the, the guild does have the power to prevent membership or to fine people yeah. that are found to be violating strike rules. And in fact, that happened in the last strike. The guild accused Jay Leno oh. of using writers and written material when he returned on the tonight show and they had a whole tribunal and kind of a mini little trial to figure out what he actually did. And he was exonerated and found to have not violated rules after an inquiry into this stuff. So you can be held accountable if you are a writer that is working when your guild is on strike. 
Oh, maybe I maybe it was Jimmy Kimmel. I was thinking I know one of them paid a lot of their staff out of pocket. Yeah, a few party. of them did. Leno did. Uh, Kimmel did. Um, I think Letterman did as well. Letterman was actually able to come back last time with writers because he owned his show. And Worldwide Pants, his company, was not a signatory to the Guild. Oh, wow. So he was able to come back, if I recall. But um, a lot of these late night guys will pay their staffs out of pocket just to kind of prevent people from uh, being harmed by the strike. Mm-hmm. Uh, so a lot of these other shows, though, they don't do that. Well, and if you're striking currently, there's a good chance Jay Leno will bring you donuts. Because ah, I, that's true. That's been the He's other been out there. Story. That's yeah. You see the donuts and the pizza and yeah. the Croy. It mm-hmm. seems to be the hot thing to uh, show up on the picket uh, line. With if you're visiting from out of town, Matt, where, where and you want to see picketers, <laughs> yeah. where do you welcome people go? The studios. You can go to Fox in West LA. You can go to Netflix in Hollywood. Paramount down the street in Hollywood. You can go to Amazon or Apple in Culver City. They're all over. You can go to Warner Brothers and Disney in the Valley. If you go to Burbank, uh, there you, you know honk if you want to support them. Perfect. Very good. Thanks, Matt, for joining us. I appreciate it's the uh, the insight. So helpful. Yeah. No problem. May have to have you on again in three months when this thing's still going on. <laughs> Seriously. Uh, tell people where they can find you. You mentioned Puck News. Yeah, later. Puck.News. You can find my columns there. Um, sign up for my newsletter. Or you can go and listen to The Town on the Ringer Podcast Network. Perfect. The great Matt, Matt Bellany. Thank you, Matt, for joining us. Yeah, no problem. All right, man. Good, good talking to you. Take it easy. Thank you for listening to The Brian and Gina Show. To get in touch with the hosts or buy their books, hit them up at at baldbrian and at Gina Grad on Twitter and Instagram or by email at podcasts at lamag.com. To get connected with LA Magazine, hit them up at at lamag on Twitter and Instagram. Talk soon.